want you to turn in your Bible over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to share a verse with you on the front end just very quickly before we go to John chapter 14. As we continue our series, Confident Living in Perilous Times, I believe one of the greatest truths that we can ever get outside of salvation is the fact that Jesus is coming back at any moment for his church. Believers are going to be taken out of the world. All those who have trusted Christ as Savior, whether they're living faithful lives or not, Jesus is going to come back and we are going to meet him in the air. It is not the second coming to earth when he comes back to defeat the foes of the world. No, the rapture is very unique. Now, today I want you to pay very close attention, all right? Because what we are covering is going to be uh, important that you're paying attention to follow along to where you get it, all right? You'll understand why I'm telling you that in just a moment. But in 2 Timothy 3, 1, it says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, we covered that the first week of this series, Actually, as I mentioned earlier, this series actually should end today, but because there is so much that is important for us to see having to do with this issue of Jesus coming back at any moment before the tribulation begins, before the tribulation period begins, that there is no possible way I could get it all in one week. Well, I could have, but we'd be here a whole lot longer. And so I decided to break this up into two weeks, all right? So what truths do we need to take heed of to have confident living in perilous times? Well, we covered the first one several weeks ago. One is salvation. Now, what is that? That means that you have been saved from hell to heaven. And how does that happen? Well, it isn't by our good works. It's not by our trying to live a faithful Christian life. It's not by being baptized or or keeping sacraments or ordinances. No, it's through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us as the full payment for sin. If I could just illustrate it here quickly, if this represented you and me and my wallet represented all of our sin, you know, the Bible tells us we're all sinners, all of us, including me. God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Now, the scriptures tell us that because we've sinned, that comes with a penalty. We've earned something. Just like you go to work and you earn money, okay? We sin and we earn death, okay? The wages of sin being death. Because we've sinned against God, he says there's a penalty that goes with that. And we'll have to die not only physically, but we would have to be separated from God for all eternity in a literal, a literal hell, all right? Hell is real. It's in the Bible. And regardless of what liberal preachers say today, it's not going away. It is there, but God doesn't want anybody to end up there. Now, because religion won't take away sin, because being good won't take away sin, because the Bible says it's not by our works that we get to heaven. Remember, you gotta be perfect. Even if you piled on from this moment forward a perfect life, it still won't take away the sin. Death is the only payment. That's why we're not saved by good works. So then what are we gonna do? We're separated from God because of our sin. We can't get to heaven with our sin. We have to be sinless and we're not. So what are we going to do? Well, there's nothing in ourselves that we can do. That is why Jesus came. God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, sinless. He went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he took the sin that we deserve to pay for. He took it on himself, and he paid for it in our place, leaving us nothing left to pay for 
okay? He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says in his word that if you will put your trust, your faith in him, that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He forgives you, he cleanses you, he gives you eternal life, and you can know you're going to heaven based on what he did for you, not what you do for him. It's not a matter of you holding on, it's a matter of him holding on. And he promises to do that, by the way. If this was God and this is us, you know, when you trust Christ the Savior, you take him as your Savior and he saves you, all right? Well, folks, when we sin, every time we sin, okay, in a sense, we're letting go because we're going our own way, we're sinning. But you know what? No matter what we do, no matter what we do, he holds on to us. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. This is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing. See, we can sometimes lose our way, but he never loses us, okay? This is what Jesus said. He will never lose us. He'll never forsake us. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, all right? And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Lose nothing. You can't be lost once you're saved. If you can be lost, let me ask you this. What would cause you to be lost? Wouldn't it be failure on your part? So then what's keeping you saved then? Success on your part. That's all that goes right back to you think you can earn your way to heaven by being faithful and living a good life. You can't, you might as well quit trying. You can't earn your way. It's only through what Christ did on the cross. Now, is it good to live a good Christian life? Yes, it is, Okay has to do with rewards. It has to do with reaping and sowing in this life, absolutely, but has nothing to do with your eternal destiny on whether you'll go to heaven or not. That's all in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Another thing that will help us have confident living is learning how to walk by faith. What does that mean? It is living each moment in faith, in trusting in the Lord, trusting in him to guide us and lead us. So we're trusting in God. We're also trusting in his word because his word is his words. So when you read the Bible, it is God speaking to you. And when you trust what it says, you're trusting him. Another thing that we saw last week was a divine plan of the local church. The local church, folks, it's not just a place to come and to meet once a week. No, it's a place for us to get energized, to encourage one another, to be instructed, to sing praise to God, okay, to love one another, and then get ready to go out and serve the Lord as we should. The local church is the vehicle, the vehicle today, the number one vehicle of God's way of reaching the world. Now, I know there's other groups and all that, but first and foremost, the local church is God's plan. And then another factor in confident living in perilous times is this one today, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. This is not just one perspective on when Jesus will come again. A lot of people want you to think it that way. Well, we, you know, it's because we want to be diplomatic. We want to say, well, you know, there's a lot of different views of this. There's pre-trib rapture. You know, people used to believe that, but they don't believe that anymore. Oh, really? Sorry, you didn't ask me. You didn't ask our church. We so strongly believe it here at Northland that to be a member of our church, you have to believe that Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation. You might say, isn't it just a minor thing? Not really, as you're going to see this week and next. Not really. It's not a minor thing. It's an important thing. 
in the plan of God. Not just one perspective. You know, there's pre-trib and then there's mid-trib and then there's pre-wrath and then there's post-trib. These are the different views that people have. No, the first one is right, pre-trib, pre-trib. It is the only one, a pre-tribulational rapture is the only one that fits scripture. Let me say it again. It is the only one that fits scripture. And the effects it has on the life of the believer who embraces it are undeniable. Not only does it give us confidence and hope and peace, but it also gives us the sense of accountability and the urgency to live for the Lord now while we still have time. Jesus is coming back and our lives will be judged. Not our destiny, but our lives. The lives we live since we trust the Christ are gonna be judged. Once we get raptured, we get to heaven at something called the judgment seat of Christ. I'll show you more about that in just a minute. I believe though the imminent return of Christ, imminent meaning at any moment, Jesus could come back at any moment. In other words, there are no actual signs for the rapture of the church itself. The apostles, as I will repeat in the next part of this message, the apostles were taught by the Lord, as we're going to see in just a moment, to look for Jesus to come back. They were taught that. I believe it's a strong motivator and source of confidence in the Christian life. It will help us stay true to the word of God as believers. The fact that Jesus will come back one day is one thing, but the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment is a much more powerful truth. Look with me to John chapter 14. I'm excited to share this with you today. Hopefully I can communicate it properly. This is one of those things that it's like, you know, during the year, as we study as pastors and Bible teachers and we prepare, there are things, you know, that we prepare and we get refreshed with things and, oh, yes, 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 okay, thank you, Lord, for reminding me of this and that. And then there are other things that you see that are brand new you've never seen before. Now, they're not brand new in the sense that they contradict everything. No, they just reaffirm what you believe. And this is one of those things today, which I never saw until this week. In John chapter 14, Jesus here, now remember, he's in the upper room with his disciples and he's meeting with them. And he says in John 14, one, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. You notice he starts it with saying, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. When I leave, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. Don't be troubled because I'm coming back to take you home, all right? Now, Jesus told them he would be back and receive them to himself. He did not tell them that they would not be the generation that saw that. Do you see that in the text? He didn't say, I'm going to come back and take believers home to be with me, but you guys don't think about that because it doesn't apply to you. He kept that from them. Why? To produce confidence and peace in their lives. Do you see that? He starts the chapter with saying, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm going to come again and receive you 
unto myself. He wasn't deceiving them. He was teaching, be ready for me. That produces confidence when we are ready to see Jesus each and every day. You know, friend, you may be troubled with different things, but do we understand today could be the day when Jesus comes to take his church home? How exciting that ought to make us. This could be it. Those who suffer in chronic pain, this may be your last day. Boy, that ought to just get us excited about things. He wanted them to believe that it could come at any time, and why did he tell them what he did? to comfort them and give them confidence for the days ahead. And they were days of persecution for them. They knew nothing, now this is important, they knew nothing about what we call the church age in which we live today. Do we understand that? How many of you know that already? Okay, they knew nothing about the church age. They knew nothing about the times in which we live, okay? I'm gonna show you two charts this morning And let me explain them because I'm going to give you two perspectives. And I'm going to show you what we know today because we're living at the end of the church age, I believe, and the way they perceived what the future would look at. Let's look at the big one first, all right? This, This first chart that I'm going to show you, this kind of unfolds everything. And very quickly, you notice here it is the first. Christ, all right, and then he lived his life, and then he died on the cross. And then what came after that, starting on the day of Pentecost, we call the church age, the church age, or the dispensation of the church. Now, according to scripture, this period of time, and we are living in it, was a mystery in biblical times, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and most of John did not even touch on the church age, So when you read about Jesus coming back in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, you're reading about his second coming to earth. You notice after the church, the rapture takes place. That's when the church goes up. Then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. At the end of that, Jesus is coming back to defeat the armies of the world and set up his kingdom. That coming back is what they had in mind. Because he had not revealed the truths of the rapture. He had not revealed the truths of the church age. And so with that in mind, let me show you the way the Jews saw the future, which is, by the way, the way the apostles at this point saw it. Let's look at the next one. First coming of Christ, the death of Christ. He would leave. There's going to be trouble. The tribulation was talked about in the Old Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. Ezekiel 38, or actually 37 through 39, Zechariah, the book of Joel, they talk about the day of the Lord, okay, the day of the Lord. That would be the tribulation. And then the second coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, Zechariah 12 and 14, he would come, every eye would see him, Israel would see him, and they would mourn. They would mourn because they would realize, oh, this was the Messiah who came. And yet they've got to go through that seven-year tribulation period that we see, all right? But remember, this is the view of the Jew at the time. This is the view of people at the time. They did not understand the church. The church did not start being manifested to the world, to the apostles. First, Peter and Paul, particularly Paul, got a lot of the doctrine of the church, all right? Here's the issue. That was a mystery 
in the Old Testament. So when they looked at prophecy, they looked at, okay, Messiah would come, Messiah would die, there'd be tribulation, Messiah would come a second time, he would set up his kingdom. That's the way they saw it. Flip quickly to the first one. You notice the other one did not have the church age in it? We look now and we can say, oh, this is what's happened. We're living in that period of time, okay? Now, with that in mind, understand, when will the rapture take place? The rapture will take place before the tribulation begins. Listen, the church age was a separate entity. The church age is a separate entity. The church has nothing to do with the tribulation period. The prophecies of the future that you found in the Old Testament and to the Jewish nation, that's what they saw. They did not see the church age at all. So the church age is a separate truth, all right? Now you've got people today who are wanting to say, oh no, the church goes into the tribulation period. No, it doesn't. The church age was a parenthesis in the plan of God. With that in mind, when will the rapture take place? Well, at any moment. Is there anything that must happen before the rapture takes place? The answer to that is no, no. Again, understand this. The apostles were looking for it in their day. Jesus told them in John 14, be looking for me. Don't be troubled. I'm coming to take you home. He just didn't tell them when he was coming to take them home. They wrote to us under inspiration to look for the Lord to come back at any time. Now, when he told them that, they were still thinking Jewish. That's the way they were thinking. But when he said, I'm going to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, you notice he said, he will be here, he will receive them unto himself. They're going to be caught up together to meet him in the clouds. That would fit with the rapture of the church. They knew nothing of the rapture. The rapture is not talked about in any of the Old Testament, and it's not even mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I think the first time it's ever mentioned is in John chapter 14 verses one through six. And yet, isn't it interesting? Did Jesus explain it? He didn't explain it. Did he tell them when it was gonna take place? No, because he wanted them to see it as an imminent event, because if they realized once he was gone, he could come back at any moment to take them, that would give them confidence to live in perilous times. But it had to be pre-trib. He didn't say, well, all these things are gonna take place. Be looking for me once those things start taking place. That's not what he said. All he said is, I'm going to come back and receive you, so don't be troubled. I'll be back. Why should they be looking if it is afar off or other events have to take place first? No, they saw it as imminent or at any moment. If we have to enter into the tribulation for a time, then... The rapture of the church is not an imminent event. Let me say it again. If we have to enter into the tribulation for a period of time, then the rapture of the church is not an imminent event. If there are things that have to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place, then the rapture is not an imminent event, right? Because we would then say, well, this has to take place, then the rapture will take place. Guess what? Nothing has to take place. That's why the church is not going through any of the tribulation period. Now, how do we know this is imminent? By the way, let me just share this with you. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, 
It says this in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope. Do you know looking is present tense? We need to be looking, when? All the time, for the blessed hope. You notice it says it's the blessed hope. The word uh, hope is the Greek word elpis. It means the joyful anticipation. Joyful anticipation. That sounds to me like confident living. Sounds to me like confident looking. And it's a blessed anticipation. Now, we are to be looking, present tense, all the time for it to take place. If it wasn't an imminent event, he wouldn't say looking for the blessed hope like he does. Now, how do we know it is imminent? Well, we've already looked at it somewhat, but let's going to break this down today. And here, I want you to understand these things. The first thing we're going to talk about just a little bit here today is what we call the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. The 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. I want you to turn your Bible over to Daniel chapter 9. The church will not go through the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. The church age was a mystery to believers, not revealed until after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Then it started being little by little revealed, all right? But it was a mystery. It was a mystery. I see all the, read and see all the time people taking things from the Olivet Discourse, which is the, the talk that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olivet. You know, it's fancy. Doesn't that sound impressive, the Olivet Discourse? He gave a talk on the Mount of Olives. That's what it means. And he talked about, then the Son of Man shall appear, and the, you know, the moon this, and the sun that, and all that. Now, oh, well, see that? That's the rapture. That's, no, that's not the rapture. That's the second coming at the end of the tribulation period. If you just even follow the uh, Matthew 24, it's written in linear fashion to where you can understand there's a time frame when things take place, and none of that has to do with the rapture. However, it does have to do with what Daniel has to say about the tribulation period and the second coming. Now, in Daniel 9.24, and I'm going to streamline this today. I've really tried to think this through and try to communicate this in simple terms that it doesn't take up a couple weeks on this. But this is absolutely profound. Matthew 9.24, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, the Jews, and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecies, and to anoint the most holy. Seventy weeks. Now we know that seventy weeks, the word week, can be translated as days or years or actual, like we think of a week, we think of Monday through Friday, or excuse me, Sunday through Saturday as a week. Now, we know in the context it's talking about years, okay, periods or 77s. In other words, 70 periods of seven years each, all right? 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2, unto the Messiah the prince, shall be seven weeks, seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Now, one commentator put it concisely, and I want to read it to you. He said this, 
70 weeks have been decreed for your people, Israel, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. The historical fulfillment of the first part of the prophecy shows that the weeks are weeks of years. Thus, 70 weeks equals 490 years. That's key, remember that. The 70 weeks prophecy equals 490 years. We will see that the 70 weeks are divided into seven weeks plus 62 weeks, and then after a time gap, remember the time gap. I'll give you a hint. It's the church age, but it's not mentioned here. Okay. Then after a time gap, one final week, okay? The final week, folks, is seven years long. It is determined on who? The church? Who's it determined on? The Jewish people. The time gap is the church age, which was a mystery in the Old Testament. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. From the going forth command to rebuild Jerusalem. 490 years. Seventy times seven is 490s. Now, from when Messiah would come and he would be cut off or he would die, all right? From the command to rebuild to the time Jesus would die, the prophecy was given 490, but only 483 of those years have been fulfilled. There's still seven years left to be fulfilled, okay? 483 are done. There's one week or one period of seven years yet to be fulfilled. Daniel 9, 26. And after three score and two weeks, or after the three score and two weeks, plus the first week, the seven, or seven weeks, yeah, excuse me, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come, referring to the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end the war of the war desolations are determined. Now, we're not going to cover that in detail because of where we're at in this series. But again, a commentator says this, here we have an unmistakable reference to the Savior's death on the cross. This is when Messiah would be cut off. A century ago in his book, The Coming Prince, Sir Robert Anderson gave detailed calculations of the 69 weeks using prophetic years, allowing for leap years, errors in the calendar, the change from B.C. to A.D., etc., and figured that the 69 weeks ended on the very day Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, five days before his death. So from the command to go and rebuild to the triumphal entry when Jesus came into the city on a donkey, exactly 483 years of the 490 years were fulfilled. But what happened then? It was like God had a had a stopwatch. He says, stop it. Let's stop right there. Something else is going to take place between now and then, okay? Between verses 26 and 27 in your Bible, are you looking at it in your Bible? Between verses 26 and 27, you could put a line out right there and you could say between verses 26 and 27, you could write church age. That's where the church fits into this prophecy. You might say, why didn't it say that? Because the church was a mystery, that's why. The church was something not revealed to mankind until the proper time. Remember, it was an unknown truth. 
to the Old Testament saints. So the church is an entirely different body, and the church is made up of what kind of people? Jews? Yeah, but not only Jews. Gentiles? Well, yeah, but not only Gentiles. Wait a minute. Are you talking, are you telling me that Jews and Gentiles are going to make up one body? Yes. Read Ephesians chapter 3. As a matter of fact, that's the mystery. That's what the mystery was. And it was going to be during this period of time we call the church age. And the, that's why, by the way, do you remember in the book of Acts, even Peter had a hard time accepting the fact that Gentiles were going to be part of this thing. So the Lord had to give him the vision of the, the different animals coming down. He did it three times. Because Peter's thing was, hey, oh Lord, I'm not going to have anything to do with the Gentiles. They're unclean. And the Lord says, no, I've got something new going on here. It's called the church, the church age. Now you notice again, folks, it was all exclusively Israel until Messiah's cut off, the Jews rejected Jesus. Acts chapter two, the church age begins and the church age will end with what we call the rapture of the church. Let's look at that one slide of the whole picture once again. The rapture of the church. So the death of Christ, the church age started shortly after that. And then the rapture of the church. You notice I say approximately 2,000 years. None of us know for sure, but we believe Jesus is coming soon. And then that will end with the rapture of the church and then the tribulation period, which the Jews knew about. Okay, it's in the Old Testament. The tribulation period would take place, but the Jews did not know about the church. And so Daniel, and by the way, notice the slide. How long is the tribulation period? How many years? That equals one week. There's one week remaining, and it's the tribulation period. Seven years. It's future. You might say, when's that going to take place? Whenever the church is out of the picture, because the church is a mystery, parentheses, in the plan of God. So the church is not going through the tribulation period. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. The he is the Antichrist. He's going to either confirm or make a covenant, a peace treaty in the Middle East and it'll bring peace to the region and the world will rally behind him because there'll finally be peace in the Middle East. But he will not be manifested. He personally will not be manifested until the church is out of the way, according to Second Thessalonians and we'll get to that next week. So we see the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Let's move on now. Turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Hopefully that wasn't confusing. What we just covered about Daniel, I recommend that you uh, feel free to study it out and also ask questions about it, and we can look at that. But uh, I've done the best I can with the time we have this morning. But it is an amazing prophecy to know God is a God of exactness, and what he said is going to take place. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus could come back at any moment, okay? The church was not made for the tribulation period at all. That is a Jewish concept, not a church concept. So the church is gonna be gone. Let's move on. The second aspect of the imminent return of Christ and that the church is not going to go through the tribulation is this. The tribulation is called in scripture the time of Jacob's trouble, 
okay? The time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 3. It doesn't say the time of God's people's trouble. It doesn't say the time of the church's trouble. No, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob had his name changed to what? Israel. The tribulation period is a time of trouble for Israel, not the church, because the church is not here. Jeremiah 30, verse 3, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. This is after they're scattered, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. The miracle, greatest mir- one of the greatest miracles of our entire multi-generational lives that we have here. May 14th, 1948, the Jewish people were declared a nation once again, all right? They were scattered. By the way, that's a miracle in itself. No people had been scattered for that long a time and kept their national identity. Only the Jewish people have. Why? Because they are the apple of God's eye. They're in his hands, and he has a plan to fulfill. They were scattered. 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, okay? And the Jewish people were scattered, and they've been scattered for almost 2,000 years, but God has been bringing them back, bringing them back, bringing them back. Getting them ready for what? The tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. And I will cause them to return. Verse four, and these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Concerning who? Israel and Judah, not the church. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness, okay? The seven-year tribulation period will be an awful time. We know that from the book of Revelation and other parts even in the Old Testament. It's going to be an awful time. Revelation chapter 6 through 19 describes it. Verse 7, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. He'll be delivered out of it. So we see that the tribulation is called Jacob's trouble. Again, not the church's trouble. Let's move on. We see the testimony of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Now, I'm just going to do mainly reading in this passage because I want you to see this. Now remember, Paul wrote letters. He did not write neat little Bible books that have a specific name, although he usually said who he's writing it to, okay? He did not write Bible books like we have them in our Bible today. There were no chapter divisions. There were no verse numbers. There were letters. Like you sit down, you write a multi-page letter to somebody, that's exactly what Paul was writing to these churches. So with that in mind, take the chapter division out and just let it read like a letter, And I will show you very clearly here, well, the scriptures will show you very clearly, there is a lineal plan, linear plan that God has set up having to do with the time of the tribulation period. Now, as we were going through the Thessalonian study a while back, I think it was last year or so, we talked about this issue of pre-tribulational rapture and why that is what the Bible 
teaches that the church is not going to go through the tribulation. And we talked about this thing called the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, unless you understand what it includes, can be a tricky doctrine in Scripture. The day of the Lord begins at the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord goes through the kingdom age. And the day of the Lord, sometimes it's talking about the tribulation, sometimes it's talking about the millennium, but it's talking about what takes place after the rapture of the church. Now you could say, well, the day of the Lord begins with the rapture, the day of the Lord begins right after the rapture. Either way, the fact of it is, the rapture takes place before it starts manifesting itself. That is the key that we need to understand. Now, that being so, watch the order here. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we know that this passage has to do with the rapture of the church. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. This is different than the second coming to earth when Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives. Okay? We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And look what it says. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what Jesus was talking about in in John chapter 14, 1 through 6. Wherefore, notice what should be the truth of the rapture in our daily lives. If we embrace it, if we believe it, okay, what should it do? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But... But, word of contrast, of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, for when they shall say, you notice he's not talking about the Thessalonian believers, he's talking about somebody else, he's talking about the people of the world. For when they shall say, peace and safety, because that's what the Antichrist is going to promise. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, you see the contrast to the they? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that they should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, like those other people. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day... You notice we are not of the night, we are of the day. Let us of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation, the joyful anticipation of salvation. That's what the word hope means. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I believe there in verse 9, it can have a double meaning. Okay, it can be talking about wrath meaning hell. God has not appointed us to wrath because of what Christ has done. But also, folks, the order is undeniable here between chapter 4 and chapter 5. The rapture takes place first. 
comfort one another with that truth. And then let me tell you about what comes after the rapture, which is the day of the Lord. And then he keeps making contrast between, well, the people of the world are this way, but you're the children of light, okay? And then he says, God has not appointed us, believers, to wrath, God's wrath. See, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, that part of the day of the Lord, it's a day of wrath, according to scripture. And God has not appointed us to wrath. In other words, we are not going through it. I hope you see that. Now, we've got many more things here having to do with this point that we're going to cover next week, but I think it is undeniable in Scripture that the rapture of the church is going to take place before the seven-year tribulation begins, which begins the day of the Lord, okay? And the church is not a part of that. Why? Because the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. It wasn't the plan of God that did not talk about the church age because we see how the 70th week of Daniel prophecy has been fulfilled except for one week, seven years. That's the tribulation period. And that prophecy, the Lord told Daniel, this has to do with your people, not the church, your people. Daniel's people were the Jews. We see in Jeremiah, it's the time of Jacob's, Israel's trouble. See, it's not having to do with the church age. So we are going to be taken out before, and there's lots of other scriptures as well. Let us close over in 1 John chapter 5. Please turn there with me. Friend, I know I say this often, but it's very important. If Jesus is coming back soon, and he is, when? I don't know. No one knows, but he is coming back. You need to be ready. Not only do you not want to die without having trusted Jesus Christ as Savior because you'll spend forever separated from him in hell, and that'd be the worst thing imaginable for anybody. It's forever there. But you also don't want to make it even worse on this side by you being left when the rapture takes place. See, God is going to take all those who have trusted Christ as Savior out of the world when the rapture takes place, but those who haven't trusted Christ as Savior are going to be left here to go through that seven-year tribulation period, which Jesus said is the worst time that the world has ever known, ever in history. How can you escape that? 1 John 5, verse 10. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. You need to trust in him as your Savior. It says in 1 John 5, 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the... Witness in himself, and he that believeth not God, you don't believe what the Bible says, has made him a liar. You're calling God a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Not in your good works, it's in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at these beautiful words that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, I won't explain what a Calvinist is, but just don't listen to them, okay? They have nothing to offer you. Believe what the Bible says. God loves the world. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Anybody in the world can put their faith in Jesus Christ and he will save anybody in the world, okay? 
trust in Jesus Christ today before it's too late. You could, number one, you could die today, then it's too late, okay? You could be left at the rapture. You don't want to go through the tribulation period. And if you are left at the rapture and you go through the tribulation period, there's a very good chance you could die during that period of time and it will be too late. Sometime, eventually, your life will end. And if you die without Christ, it's too late. You only have one chance. It's this life is your chance. But you never know when you're going to die. So today should be your day to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.